We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. My name is John Cutler, as Pastor Matt said, and I serve as our adult uh, minister to groups on our Spring Hill campus. I do a lot of the same things Ben Lofton does. I just don't do them as well. At least that's what he told me to say. Uh, and so, but in all seriousness, uh, I knew I would love this church, uh, this campus, because I love your leadership. Uh, the men and women y'all have leading are some of my favorite people. I count them as some of my closest friends. And so it's a pleasure to finally be here. I've been on this campus a lot, but I've never gotten to worship with you. And so it's been an amazing morning so far, and I'm very thankful to be able to share with you uh, what God has laid on my heart this morning. And so as a church, we've been in the Shadows of, of Christmas series where our pastors have done a great job uh, taking imagery or picture from the Old Testament and showing us how Jesus is the substance of that shadow. And so we talked about how Jesus was the greater Adam, and then the choice that Adam made in the garden, how Jesus was the greater Abraham and the faith that was shown there, how Jesus was the greater sacrifice provided for Isaac, how he was uh, like the deliverance led by Moses, and ultimately how he was the greater king. And so as we've gone through those, we've seen how Jesus is the substance behind these images. And so today I want to share with you another image, a picture, illustration that Jesus uses, and he reaches into the what we would call the Old Testament, and he pulls this image out, and he shares it with his disciples uh, on the final night he's with them before he's betrayed in the upper room as they kind of transition to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Judas has already left, so it's just him and, and the 11 disciples, and he shares this image, a picture that informs not just who he is, but who they are in response to who he is and because of him. And so I think this morning, if we'll allow that same picture to inform our relationship with Christ as disciples, uh, we'll be encouraged this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to John 15, verse 1, John 15, verse 1, and that's what we'll start in a few minutes. Let me kind of set the scene for you. We've already talked about how he is in the upper room. Uh, he's with his disciples on the final night, but the kind of greater narrative that's happening here is this is the final I am statement that John records. And so he's, Jesus has got these seven I am statements in the book of John that point to his divinity, that kind of tell us things about him. And so Jesus has said so far that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world. He's the gate by which we enter. He's the good shepherd that cares for the sheep. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And now he says, finally, I am the true vine. And so just like the image of sheep and, and shepherds that we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, this would have been readily understood by his disciples who grew up in a, in a culture where uh, shepherding and, and caring for the, the grapevines would have been common. They'd all seen a vine trimmed. They'd all seen a vineyard. And so he uses this picture, but at the same time, it would have pointed them back to the Old Testament because God used this imagery of the vineyard and the vine to describe Israel over and over again in the Old Testament. 
Oftentimes he was talking about how they had failed to produce the fruit consistent with who they were. So God had, says, I had planted you, I've uh, picked choice vine, I've taken care of you, and yet you are not producing fruit in accordance consistent with your purpose. Now Jesus in these final moments says that he, not Israel, is the true vine. Before this, if you wanted to be connected to the true God, you had to go through and be grafted into the Jewish faith. And so you would go through a process and then you would be baptized and you would be, for all intents and purposes, Jewish. But Christ now says it's, it's him, not the Jewish people, not the Jewish faith, that you have to be connected to in order to be part of the true vine or true Israel. And so Jesus kind of gives this picture of who he is, who he is and I think that this picture was given to help the disciples understand their relationship to Jesus. He's about to leave, uh, and he tells them these things, and this is one of the last pictures he gives them, and I think it's to help them understand what their relationship to him as followers. And if that's true, and I think that it is, then it also will help us understand our relationship with him as disciples today. So this morning as we get into this image, I want to share with you three characteristics of a disciple that we pull from this picture of the vine and the branches. So if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to follow along. John 15, and I'll start there in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So Jesus gives this picture. And as we examine that this morning, I want to give you three characteristics of a disciple. And if you have your, uh, if you're taking notes this morning, this is the first thing I'd ask you to write down. As a disciple, you are dependent on Christ for your life. Now, Jesus says here, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, agriculture, that's a pretty simple idea, right? You have a vine and the branches. The branches get their life from the vine. If you chop off a branch, the branch dies, the vine doesn't, right? The vine is the one that's connected to the, the soil that draws the nutrients that provides for the branches. So Jesus says, just like that, you cannot bear fruit unless you are connected to me and you abide in me. Unless you abide in me and are connected to me, there is nothing in you that can produce fruit. So he says, just like the vine and the branch. So the question becomes, what does it mean to abide? Because our understanding of that colors our whole passage. And Jesus uses this word abide some 10 times in these seven verses. He Over and over again, he says, abide in me, abide in my word, let my word abide in you, and abide in my love. And so we need to understand what it means to abide. Stated as simply as we can, the word abide means to remain, to stay. In a location, in a position, in a relationship, in a state, just stay where you are to remain where you are. And so if we understand that, then we have to ask the question, 
what are we to remain in? What are we to stay in? What does Jesus tell us? He tells his disciples that they should abide in him, to remain in him, that let him abide in them, let his words abide in them. But I feel like the key to what he's saying is found in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I think that, that summarizes what Jesus is telling his disciples to abide in. Abide in my love. And it makes sense when you think about this entire dinner from the beginning with the, the feet washing through Judas leaving. And even now, Jesus has continually talked about love. Let me give you some examples. He said that the commandment that he gives to them is to love one another. That by their love, not by anything else, but by their love, people will know they're his disciples. If they have love for one another, that he who loves Jesus will be loved by the Father, and Jesus will both love him and manifest himself to him. Then he says again, if someone loves Jesus, the Father will love him, and they both will come and make their home with him. And so again and again, Jesus has talked about this idea of love. So what does it mean to abide in his love? Surely we know it doesn't mean just to feel loving towards Christ or to have an emotional response. That's never what the scripture means when it says love. And so what does it mean to abide or remain in his love? How do we do that? Well, in verse 10, he tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So he says, abide in my love. Then he tells us how to do it, to keep his commandments. And then so you and I don't go to scripture and find our own commandments and decide which ones we want to abide in. He gives us the commandment. So he walks us through. He says, if you abide in my love, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. And then in verse 12, he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then in 17, he sums it up. He says, these things, and you would expect him to, to give us a list. This is his last night. These things I command to you. And then he says this. Love one another. So again and again, he tells us that to love one another is to keep his commandments. And if we do that, then we will abide in him. Jesus says it this way. Rather, Jesus is calling us to remain in his love and then share that love with others as a way of remaining in that love. I was talking to Pastor Matt, and we could really probably fill a whole series just on what it means to remain in his love and to share that love, but I wanted to just kind of summarize it for you this morning. Jesus says that his disciples will abide in him if they keep his commandment to love one another. And we and them are only able to love one another like Christ loved us if we have first experienced Christ's love, and second, if we are operating out of that love towards those around us. In other words, Jesus says, our connection with the vine, the very source of our life, will manifest itself in ways that show evidence that we're connected to the vine, right? So he says, abide in me, abide in my love, keep my commandments, love one another. So our abiding in him will produce fruit consistent with being connected to the true vine. See, being close to the vine is not enough. Looking like a branch is not enough. Jesus says, if you're not actually connected to the vine, there is no life. A while back, I was trimming some of our oleander bushes, and I promised myself I would tell you the truth. Number one, I don't do it very often, and number two, I don't really know what I'm doing, okay? I only get out there every now and then to try to make my wife happy and take care of the yard a little bit, so I'd gotten out, and I was trimming some of the oleander bushes, and because I pay so close attention to them, there were weeds that had grown all the way up they were the same height as the oleander bushes, and some of them were actually kind of peeking out of the top. 
So I started trying to trace back what was, should be there and what shouldn't be there, and I was cutting it off and pulling it out and kind of trimming the bushes, and I really felt that I'd done a pretty good job. So, and I, the next couple of days driving, every time I pull in the driveway, I'd think, I don't know who lives here, but they did a really good job on those bushes, right? I was just proud of myself. Well, then a couple of days went by, and I go back out, take care of some things, and I notice there are among these beautiful bushes dead oleander branches. Some idiot had cut the wrong branches. It was me. But what I learned is all week those branches, those bushes look great, but slowly but surely the truth was being revealed, right? There were branches that were not connected to the vine or connected to the source, and that was becoming evident. So Jesus says it doesn't matter if you look like a branch. It doesn't matter if you're close to other branches. If you're not connected to him, apart from him, we are dead, lifeless branches, but connected to him. As a part of him, abiding in his love and his word, we will experience life and experience it more abundantly than we can possibly imagine. Too often we act as though once we were saved, once we were rescued, once Christ did what only he can do, now it's up to us to live the Christian life. Jesus warns us, as he warned his disciples, that apart from him there is no life. Apart from him there is no fruit. We are dependent on him not just for salvation, but for continued life. So the first characteristic this morning of a disciple is that they are dependent on Christ for their life. A disciple is deeply connected to our Lord, and the best life will only be experienced when we abide and rest in his great love for us, and then allow that love to flow through us, which is what brings us to the second characteristic of a disciple. Not only are they dependent on Christ for life, they are designed to produce fruit. So if you're a disciple, you're designed to produce fruit. Now, again, Jesus points out a very simple agricultural idea. If a branch doesn't produce fruit, it's removed. Well, why? Because that's the purpose. That's the reason it exists. And if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, Jesus says that it's removed. It's taken away. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit is taken away because that is the purpose for its existence. Once you listen to what God says about a vine in the Old Testament, what is it good for? Ezekiel 15, 1 through 5, he says this, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, how does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest, is wood taken from it to make anything? Do people take a peg from it and hang any vessel on it? Behold, it is given to the fire for fuel. And when the fire is consumed, both ends of it and the middle of it is charred, it is useful. Is it useful for anything? Behold, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and is charred can it ever be used for anything? God says that a, a vine apart from fruit is useless. It's only used for fuel. And so Jesus says that a branch that is connected to him will produce fruit. Now, we have to stop here and establish what is being said and what is not being said because I would hate to lead you astray this morning. One commentator put it this way, and I found it very helpful. Fruit bearing is not a test. That is, a branch does not have to demonstrate a level of productivity to be safe from destruction. That is, as a disciple, you don't have to say, am I producing enough fruit, or is God going to take me away from the branch? That's not what the passage is saying, that there's a level of productivity, and if I don't meet that, then I'm not a real disciple. What he's saying is, rather, 
Fruit producing, fruit bearing is a byproduct of being connected to the vine. To be connected to the vine means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us and that will lead us to fruitfulness. Fruitfulness will be the inevitable outcome of an interior spiritual life with Jesus. That is, if you are a disciple, that's why I said you're you're designed to produce fruit. You are going to produce fruit. Now, Jesus confirms this when he says to the disciples, after he says that he's the, the vine, they're the branches, God's the vine dresser, he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. The word Jesus uses here for cleaned is used of a branch that has been pruned and ready for producing fruit. So Jesus says, because of the words I've spoken to you, because you've accepted them as truth, because you've placed your faith in who I am, you are already attached and pruned and ready to produce fruit. Kind of reminds me of earlier in the Lord's Supper when he was washing feet and Peter said, you know, great Peter, you, won't have any, you, can't, wash, you won't, can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't, you have no part of me. And then Peter says, wash my head and my hands and my body as well. And Jesus says this, he who is bathed or clean needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean, but not all of you are clean in referencing Judas. So by Jesus saying you're clean, he's saying, listen, you're already connected. You're already part of the vine. You're already pruned and ready to produce fruit. Just make sure that you participate and continue to abide in the vine and everything will be as it should be. Those who are attached to Jesus will, by their very connection to him, produce fruit consistent with that relationship. Those who are close but not connected like Jesus cannot, or Judas, cannot produce fruit consistent with that of a disciple. So if you're connected to Jesus, you will produce fruit. No matter how small, you will produce fruit. If you're not connected, you cannot produce fruit. So at this time, I think it would be wise for us to ask, am I truly connected to the vine? If I am, there will be fruit. If I'm not, there won't be. And so a great question to ask at this point is, what, what is fruit? What is the fruit he's referring to? And I think if the whole conversation is focused on love, I think we can safely assume that the fruit will have something to do with love, right? Jesus has over and over again held up this standard of love and this idea of love. And if we think about it, immediately maybe you were reminded of the fruit of the Spirit, right? And it, it starts with love, and then it revolves around love. Love, joy that can only be found through God's love, peace that can only be established because God loved us enough to give a son for us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of those have their seed in love. They all evolve around love, love for God and love for one another. And if that wasn't clear, then, then Paul sums it up for us perfectly in Corinthians when he says, without love, no fruit matters. He says it this way. He says, Tongues of men and angels without love is like a sounding cymbal or brass. That prophecy, understanding all mysteries and possessing all knowledge without love is nothing. Have faith that could remove a mountain, but you don't have love, you have nothing. If you have charity that you give all that you have to take care of those that have nothing, but you do it without love, it's really no profit. You could give your very body to be burned or martyred, and he says if you don't do it with love or without love, there is no profit prophet. Paul says all fruit finds itself rooted in love, that apart from that, there is no fruit. So fruit is love. Now, it it looks different, right? The end product may look different from branch to branch, even from season to season, but the seed of the fruit is always love. 
Why is that important? Because that helps us identify what's real fruit and what's not real fruit. And it will be love because that's what we receive from the vine, right? Jesus says, abide in my love, rest in my love. That's what we receive from the the vine. And so as branches, what we produce then is consistent with what we receive, love from God and love for God. With God's love, it is impossible not to produce fruit. And without it, you can never produce fruit that is acceptable to God. God, Jesus goes on to say in verse 16, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That is, that, that's why I called you. You're designed for it. You're created for it to go and produce fruit that will abide and remain. So when you look at the fruit of your life, when you examine the fruits at home, at work, with your children, at church, you got to ask yourself, is the seed of those fruits love? Is that what motivates me? Is that what drives me? Because sometimes, I think, we confuse doing Christian things with fruit. We think reading our Bible, or coming to church regularly, or uh, tithing, or going on mission, or serving on the campus, those are fruit, and all those have potential to be fruit, but only if their seed is love. Because Paul says otherwise, it's not really fruit. Otherwise, it's just you doing things. But if you're really connected to the vine and you're motivated by love, then it has that potential to be wonderful fruit. MacArthur goes on to say that other kinds of fruit are praise offered to God, sacrificial love and meeting the needs of others, holy, righteous, God-honoring behavior, and of course, converts to the gospel, all rooted in love. So hopefully at this point, you're, you're asking yourself, how can I become more fruitful then? How can this next year be a fruitful year as me, as, as a disciple? And I would tell you it's two ways. One, learn to rest in the great love that God has for you and experience it in all the ways that he's designed through his word, through his bride, through his presence. Just rest in and absorb and remain in the wonderful love that God has for us. And then two, begin looking for ways to allow that perfect grace-filled, beautiful, God, Christ-like love to flow through you to those around you. And then the, the outcome of that will not be that you try to produce fruit, but that you will produce fruit because that is the inevitable outcome of being connected to the vine. So allow Christ and your dependency on him to produce the fruit in your life that you were designed for, which leads us to this last characteristic of a disciple. As a disciple, if you are dependent on him for your life, that is, you're connected to him, and you're designed to produce fruit by your very nature, then the next thing you have to understand as a disciple is you are destined to be pruned. Jesus sets it up at the very beginning. He says that he is the vine, we are the branches, and his father is the vine dresser. As he continues, he says the outcome of that branch that is connected to the vine, that is producing fruit consistent with what it's designed for, is that God the Father, as the vine dresser, will prune it. For what purpose? So that it will produce more fruit. So that it will be the most fruitful that it can be. Now beyond the simple trimming uh, that we were doing, uh, we were talking about with the oleander bushes, pruning is actually for not just looks, but for the good of the plant. Right? It's for the health of the vine and the branches and the fruit that's produced. Pruning is something that is done to it to make it better. Now even though I'm sure that you think I am by this point, I am in fact not an expert on Middle Eastern viticulture. Uh, but I did go to where we all should go when we need to know something, and that's Google. 
right? I typed it in. Some of you thought I was going to say Wikipedia, but no. I did ask Siri and I asked Alexa, and neither one of them really had a good answer. But I Googled it, and this is what I found. Pruning is the removal of portions of a grapevine for the purpose of maintaining size, shape, and productivity. And I want to share some of the things they say about pruning that I think will help us see why Jesus says pruning is a necessary part in our lives as disciples. For best results of the growth rate of a grapevine, it must be carefully maintained. If it has too few growing points, it grows too fast, producing fewer flowers and smaller grape clusters. If it is allowed to have too many growing points, it grows too extensively and its energy is wasted on growth and the clusters do not produce large or juicy grapes. Think about that for a minute. If it's too small, it doesn't produce fruit. If it's too big, it doesn't produce the right kind of fruit. So pruning is the process of making the branch the exact right size to produce the most fruit that it can and where it is. So pruning is that process by which God the Father grows us and guides us to be the most productive that we can. The pruning in the early season involves the reduction of the plants to the appropriate number of growing points and later any other removal shoots ensure the plant is not allowed to grow too large and grow too slowly by spending its energy among the large uh, number of sprouts that appeared during the fruiting season. Now some of us think, okay, I'm okay with God pruning me as long as he just takes a little bit, right? As long as, as I can kind of tell him where to prune, and, and for the most part, God leaves me alone. But I wanted to share with you just how invasive the pruning process is. They go on to say, you may use different approaches for determining the number of fruiting buds, but with any, any pruning system, at least 85 to 90% of the one-year-old wood will be removed during dormant pruning. This will allow the grapevines to maintain their structure or their shape, to distribute the fruit load and enhance fruit quality. Even on three-year-old or older vines, only 40 or 50 buds will be kept. A lot of good wood will be removed. A lot of what we would say would be good would be removed because it's not about what is good now, it's about what is better later. And so they take off a lot of what we would consider good things, good wood, in order to produce the best fruit later. So the we have to ask the question then, what is pruning for us? What does it look like? Now, I was studying, I think that pruning could be compared to or thought about another way as the correction of the Lord. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when he reproached by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But listen to this. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Pruning is the removal of things. Now, here's an important point. Pruning is removal of things chosen not by you, but by God. To really be pruned by the vine dresser is to have him choose what stays and what goes. We often think of pruning as only removing bad things. And certainly sometimes it will be those things that are keeping you from experiencing the fullness God has for you. Habits, addictions, people, relationships, places. But pruning also removes some of the things that we would call good things. That may spread us too thin. Or may cause us to take our eyes off the most important thing. But either way, whether it's something that we would call bad or good, pruning always involves loss. Like discipline always involves correction. Neither one is inherently fun or joyful, but painful. But the author of Hebrews says it this way, and notice the reference here, the agricultural reference. He says that after the pruning, after the discipline, it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it or or directed how to grow. And so pruning is necessary and essential part of being a disciple because we will only be the best disciple we can be when we have allowed God to prune us. So if your idea of being a Christian is simply the accumulation of stuff, if you want to be the biggest branch that there is, then you're missing what Jesus says. Jesus says it's not about being the biggest branch or having what you think is the most stuff. It's about being exactly the size he wants you to and exactly the place he wants you to produce the most fruit that he wants from you. And so the Christian life is about surrendering, not just for salvation, but surrendering to this process, allowing God to choose what he prunes and what he leaves. Pruning sacrifices what seems good or pleasurable now in order that the greater fruit can be produced later. So what now? Well, unlike the vine, we have a choice to eagerly participate in the pruning process or fight against it. It reminds me of what I used to have a Sunday school teacher that would say, the only problem with being a living sacrifice is that we keep crawling off the altar, right? So the idea is we have to keep putting ourselves up there. And so as a, as a vine who's being pruned, we have to participate in the process. We don't want to be pruned. We don't like the idea of loss or pain or uncomfortableness or suffering. And the reason we don't like it is because we have a very limited vision of what's best for us. But Jesus cast this vision for us and he says, listen, there is someone who does know what's best for you. He's a vine dresser. And he sees the totality of the vineyard. He sees your potential. He sees where you are now. He sees what he needs to cut in order to make you the branch that he wants you to be. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So how do you participate in the pruning process? As we enter the new year and God begins to prune your life, how do you participate? You trust the one who is doing the pruning. You lean into God and you let go of the things that are being removed. But more importantly, you hold loosely the things that remain, knowing that they may need to be pruned next. I would encourage you this morning that you can, in fact, trust God to prune your life because God knows where he wants you to grow. He knows what fruit he wants you to produce and he knows what part he wants you to play in his vineyard. See, we're just few branches among a great vineyard that's owned by the Father. And each one of us, he has a plan for, he knows what fruit he wants us to produce and he knows exactly how to prune and guide us. 
He has a bigger picture. And so as we move into the new year, this will be my challenge for every one of you. Don't make a list of things that you want to remove from your life. Don't make a list of things you want to add to your life. But make this one resolution with me this year that the only thing you're going to resolve to do is to allow God to prune your life. To allow Him to to prune what needs to be pruned so that you can be the most fruitful that you've ever been. Because as a disciple, you are dependent on Jesus for your very life. And because you're followed in a ta- or because you're attached to the vine you are designed to produce fruit and because of that you are destined to be pruned jesus is the vine you are the branches and god is the great vine dresser and know this god the father cares deeply for your health and fruitfulness in his kingdom his will in your life is to abide in the love of the son who loved you so much he gave his life for you to rest in that perfect love and to trust that that same love will lead and guide you to be the fruit-bearing disciples that he desires for you to be. That in that relationship, you will experience not only the fullness of life he has for you, but you will serve to advance the kingdom far beyond your wildest imaginations. I'd like to close today sharing just one more story. When I was thinking about this picture of vine and branches, I was reminded of something that happened at our house three or four summers ago. We had a large oak tree that was between our, our uh, house and the neighbor's house, and the, the fence kind of ran through it. And vines had grown up everywhere. I told you I didn't do a very good job at maintaining those things, right? The fence was covered. The vines had grown up the tree, and it so weakened it that during a storm, one of the branches fell, and it crushed a little playhouse we had, and I had a friend come over with a chainsaw. We cut the branch up, and we started removing it. While we were doing it, we went ahead and cut the, the vine roots where they were on our side of the fence, and as you can imagine, as the days passed, those vines started to die, and then the leaves on the, of those vines started to die. But what I noticed in a week or two was there were living branches and dead branches interwoven together around the tree. You see, we'd only cut one side of the tree. And what that shows us and what Jesus would have us know this morning, this is the point. Just because you're in close proximity to branches... Just because people assume you're part of the vine doesn't necessarily mean that you are. It depends on which vine you're connected to. So my challenge today would be don't leave here today without knowing whether you're attached to the true vine or not. Would you bow your heads with me? Here's the invitation today. If you're a disciple here today, who knows you're connected to the vine, you can point to the fruit in your life no matter how small. My encouragement for you today would be that you surrender that thing, that area that God is pruning from your life. And if you don't know what that is, begin to pray earnestly that God would show you what it is that is keeping you from being the most productive for your good and for His glory. Maybe for the person here today who isn't sure if they're connected to Jesus or not, If you've been listening this morning, you're not sure you've ever experienced the love of God through Christ. If you cannot identify any fruit in your life consistent with being connected to the true vine, then I want you to hear this. Paul gives us this beautiful picture in Romans of this wild, unconnected, uncultured branch that is lovingly grafted into the true vine. Know that you can be connected today if you will place your hope and trust in Christ Jesus. In a moment, our invitation is going to be that we're going to stand and we're going to sing. 
And we're going to praise God for who he is and what that means for our life. But I would encourage you to know that there are people available during that time and after the service just to speak to you. If you, if you need prayer, if you need guidance, I encourage you not to leave here today without getting it. Father God, we love you so much. And we thank you that no matter what we do, or what we produce, that you love us. That we are so connected to you that your love flows through us and that will produce the fruit that, we, that you want from us. Thank you for bringing us here today. We pray that as we go into the new year, it would be a year of surrender to you. It would be a year of allowing you to prune our lives ruthlessly so that we could be the most productive for your kingdom. Show the world who you are and how much you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.